Welcome to another episode of 35 West. My name is Moises Random, the director of the Future Venezuela Initiative and fellow of the Americas program at CSIS. Professional Mexican, but are we ready? I don't reform trends in Argentina, right. and that's what happened. Role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. Welcome to another episode of 35 West. My name is Moises Rendon. I'm the director of the Future of Venezuela Initiative and fellow of the Americas program at CSIS. Venezuela is experiencing one of the worst humanitarian crises in history. Venezuelans continue to be affected by extreme poverty, a lack of access to food and medicine, and human rights violations. As the emergency worsened with the spread of COVID-19, there does not seem to be a clear political solution in sight. This week, I'm very honored to host John Barza, the acting administrator at the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID. Prior to assuming these duties on April 11, 2020, he was sworn in on June 10th of 2019 as the Assistant Administrator for USA's Bureau for Latin America and the Caribbean. Barça brings considerable experience from decades of service in the public and private sectors. Mr. Barça, thank you very much for joining us on 35 West. Uh, Moises, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you. Administrator Barça, you recently served as Assistant Administrator for Latin America and the Caribbean, as I just mentioned. How has USAID been responding to the increasing man-made humanitarian emergency in Venezuela? Moises, up until now, the United States has provided over $856 million in assistance for Venezuelans inside Venezuela and those throughout the Latin American and Caribbean region. Inside Venezuela, USAID is providing critical health care, access to clean water and food assistance. We're working through impartial relief agencies, including the United Nations and international NGOs with a presence on the ground. USAID is also providing assistance to combat the impact of the COVID pandemic. We're working partners to provide PPE, medical supplies to health workers. We're funding health and wash activities in 24 urban healthcare centers. And we're strengthening health workers' ability to detect and contain the spread of the virus. Now, I saw you on Twitter that you were walking down the streets in, in a devastated Beirut in Lebanon after the recent explosion in one of the capital's port. Now that you're acting administrator, how does Venezuela feature into your global vision for the agency? Now that I'm acting administrator, I certainly have been given more access to insights into a situation all around the world. And it certainly highlights what I already knew intuitively heading up to Latin American Caribbean Bureau that what we're seeing in Venezuela at the hands of Maduro truly is an anomaly in the world. There is no precedent for what the Maduro regime is doing inside Venezuela. As I look at crises and regimes all around the world, there's nothing that compares to what Nicolas Maduro and his cronies are doing in Venezuela right now. It's a human tragedy because of the regime's mismanagement, the terrible abuse of human rights, and the destructive economic policies. When you throw COVID-19 on top of that, it really is a heart-wrenching, terrible situation. So my position as acting administrator for all of USAID, we responsibilities all across the world, has only highlighted really how Nicolás Maduro, his cronies, his tyrannical regime really is an anomaly in the world. Now, the, the COVID-19, as you mentioned, has created a lot of uncertainties in the region, right? And especially in Venezuela. But well, well the exact number of cases in Venezuela is unknown. It's really hard to trust the numbers that are coming out of the Maduro regime for various reasons. One of them is that they haven't published any health data since 2016, for example. 
There have been a lot of worrisome reports from doctors and nurses working in hospitals amid constant water and electricity shortages. I've seen a lot of doctors have been dying recently due to COVID-19 complications. So the, the situation at the border is also dire since many migrants have lost their informal jobs in the region like Colombia, Ecuador, and now are trying to return to the country. So how have USA's priority towards Venezuela changed with the COVID-19 pandemic? Actually, United States policy has not changed. Uh, we continue to want to see a stable, democratic and prosperous Venezuela. We support the interim government led by interim president Juan Guaido and the you know, democratically elected National Assembly. You, you mentioned the lack of reliable numbers. So certainly what we're seeing in Venezuela now, as we've seen in Cuba and other dictatorial regimes, is trying to suppress access to real information. They're trying to keep audiences outside of the country and more importantly, inside of the country, ignorant of the extent of their mismanagement, of their theft and their corruption. So what we're trying to do, we're continuing to do is trying to break the regime's information blockade by supporting independent journalists and the free flow of information. The ability for the Venezuelan people to have full situational awareness in terms of what's going on is something we've been supporting uh, for, for quite some time right now. When there's protests going on in the downtown urban areas, we think people in the countryside should know. You know, true democratic change comes with free and fair elections, and that comes with having an informed electorate. So we support civil society and and certainly our support for on the humanitarian side stays. I mean, we certainly can't get aid in it to the scale that we, we needed. But prior to the pandemic, already because of corruption and mismanagement, we'd already seen the healthcare infrastructure broken. So the COVID pandemic has already made things worse. So uh, you, you mentioned that this information campaign is crucial. We, we, that's an area that is critical for health system Venezuelans, right, to restore their democracy. You also mentioned the health system is collapsed. Just wondering what other most urgent needs of Venezuelans that USA has identified in recent months as this humanitarian crisis continues to evolve. I'm thinking about food, maybe. We have blackouts. We have so many other problems in Venezuela. I'm just curious what other priorities as USA has been identifying as, as the urgent need in Venezuela. So certainly one thing we need to be cognizant of is the incredible scale of the suffering. Uh, according to the United Nations, a respected entity, 7 million people in Venezuela urgently need humanitarian assistance because of the economic mismanagement and corruption of the illegitimate Maduro regime. So when USAID uh, is dealing with any kind of crisis situation, we have to have our priorities. And certainly the first priority is keeping people alive. The most urgent needs of the Venezuelan people right now are food, health care, and access to, to clean water and sanitation systems. These are needs that are immediate right now. 2.4 million people in Venezuela, 8% of the population, are severely food insecure, according to World Food Program. Certainly, you know, when you look at the longer term, Inconsistent electricity and water services are a huge problem. And then failing infrastructure. I mean, things that were unthinkable 20 years ago, right now is occurring. This infrastructure is falling apart on people. So keep people alive and then you know, keep those infrastructure in place to allow people to live. USAID, United States government, we continually call upon the international community to do more to help the Venezuelan people. 
You know, I'm sure Venezuelans are grateful for all the assistance and help that the American people are continuing to provide on, on humanitarian aid and other assistance. So I'm sure that's the case. But at the end of the day, food and medicine won't solve the root causes of the crisis. So can you provide more insights about why it is crucial to address the political crisis in order to solve the humanitarian emergency? Well, Moises, I mean, as you alluded in your question, you have to get to the root causes. We travel the world to any disaster sites, hurricanes, tornadoes, and volcanoes. These are things that are acts of God. When we see crises that are the act of men, act of incompetence, corruption, or theft, it's even more lamentable. It's more heart-wrenching. So at the root of the suffering of the Venezuelan people right now isn't a natural disaster, although we are everybody suffering from the pandemic. The root causes of the suffering is the Maduro regime. So a political crisis is at the heart of this. So that is why dealing with the political situation has to be the base of any future solution to the humanitarian crisis. Until the political crisis is solved and the Venezuelan people can have free and fair elections, a government that's accountable to them, that doesn't abuse civil rights and human rights. I mean, that that is why we support, you know, Juan Guaido, the National Assembly, and other civil society actors to get to that point where the Venezuelan people can have a government that's responsive to their needs. Thank you, Mr. Barza. Now let's shift years into the international context of this crisis. And we already touched down in a couple of issues here, but compared to other crises, such as Syria, South Sudan, and Myanmar, Venezuela received significantly less humanitarian aid from the international community. Venezuelan humanitarian crisis is yet to be a significant donor priority, despite levels of displacement that rivals Syria's. Currently, more than 15% of Venezuela's entire population is in a refugee or migration status, for example. Disease and hunger levels comparable to those found in sub-Saharan Africa is now the day-to-day in Venezuela. So I'm wondering, Mr. Borsa, what do you think are the biggest challenges to make the humanitarian assistance to Venezuela a global response and tied together to that why the Maduro regime has been preventing and blocking help from the international community and how has he been doing that and how USA has been responding to that issue? Well, certainly your question as to why the Maduro regime does what it does, I mean, perhaps would entail the work of dozens of psychologists in terms of why any tyrant behaves in the way they, they behave. But there's certainly no doubt in terms of what the regime is actually doing. The Maduro regime intimidates and threatens aid workers, impedes the delivery of aid to Venezuelans. The Maduro regime's opposition to the access to the interior of Venezuela, it is what has kept the international response, the humanitarian response, to being at the scale necessary, to be comparable to what we're seeing in Syria and so many other places. So unless you know the World Food Program and other international NGOs and USAID can have access and ensure the fair and equitable distribution of food, we can't do that. No international NGO is going to hand over humanitarian assistance to a tyrannical regime and let them politicize it, monetize it, or distribute it to its political cronies. That just doesn't isn't going to happen. What we've seen the Maduro regime doing, it's breathtaking in its hostility. 
the regime makes it extremely difficult for international NGOs to register in Venezuela legally. It's nearly impossible for a foreign aid worker to get a visa. The recent harassment of humanitarian organizations and healthcare workers by the regime's security personnel is disgusting. These are people who are coming in trying to help Venezuelans, and they're being harassed by the security regime. These people are bravely risking their lives to save the lives of others. The entire world must really put pressure on the Maduro regime to stop this reprehensible behavior. While I was listening to you, I remember I, I was in Cúcuta at the Colombian-Venezuelan border right before the pandemic hit er, in early March. And I remember actors on the ground in the border were telling me, Moises, you know, if we need to smuggle food and medicine inside of Venezuela because the, the, the military officials at the border on the Venezuelan side are not letting us get food and medicine to the Venezuelan border and the Venezuelan people. So we need to smuggle those in different rivers and boats and different ways so we can assist people who are dying given the lack of food and medicine. So it's very sad what, what you know, that what's going on in Venezuela and the Maduro regime preventing any aid coming in is just really bad. Mr. Borsa, it's been a year and a half since Juan Guaidó and the interim government is recognized by more than 50 countries, including the U.S., as the only legitimate government of Venezuela, right? And this is all according to the Venezuelan constitution. And until free and fair elections can be held, then the interim government and the National Assembly are the only two democratic institutions that are left. Now, I'm just wondering, what is the relationship between USAID and the interim government? And what challenges does the interim government face today with all this context? Well, certainly USAID works very well with the interim government led by President Guaido. We have working relationships with the Venezuelan embassy in Washington, D.C., the commissioner for foreign affairs in Bogota, and the interim government's commissioner to the United Nations. The interim government is a forthright partner of the international community and is working to restore democracy under almost unimaginable circumstances. Interim government members are routinely subject to regime-sponsored disinformation campaigns, false arrests, imprisonment and torture. Many have been forced into exile. So we're standing shoulder to shoulder with these brave men and women in support of their efforts to uh, restore democracy to all Venezuelans. Now, as you know, there are important events coming up. Maduro has pledged to host parliamentary elections this December. These elections are virtually guaranteed to deliver a victory to the regime, given that there is no conditions to have free and fair elections. The country's institutions are incredibly biased. They're all loyalists to the Maduro regime. There are also security concerns, since colectivos or other armed groups have been known to threaten voters. And on top of that, there are humanitarian challenges, including the COVID-19 pandemic, that make a free and fair election more difficult. So given these conditions and the mainstream opposition has already announced that it will boycott the elections or at least will not participate in, in such elections. So Minister Barza, how do you see these elections playing out? And how will these elections impact the efforts to continue addressing the humanitarian emergency? Well, Moses, I, I hesitate even calling them elections. What we're seeing here is a farce. Certainly, and the regime knows it cannot win a free and fair election. So what they're doing is they're putting together this play, this dramatic event that they're calling an election, but has no, no similarity to any election that you and I or anyone else can think of as actually being real. When you have a sham electoral council, you're having 
individuals that appointed by the regime to head up, to quote unquote, head up parties, sham candidates, sham electoral council, candidates who are blocked from participating, citizens afraid to vote their conscience. There's going to be no confidence in the vote tally. This is ridiculous. It's not an election. It's boycotting this farce that the regime is using as a tissue paper to cover up their corruption and, and incompetence. USAID is going to continue to support civil society, independent media, human rights defenders, and democratic actors. I mean, this is the right thing to do. We're going to continue to do this. These things that are coming up, it's not an election. I cannot disagree. I, As a Venezuelan lawyer myself, I, I think calling those elections is too much of a stretch. <laughs> Now, let's get this discussion wrap up. And I, again, I appreciate the time, Mr. Barca. I think it's been a fascinating conversation. Get to hear directly from your insights, given your position. Now, unfortunately for Venezuela, there is not really a political solution in sight, right? Given these so-called elections in December, given that there has been five different negotiations attempts with the Maduro regime, they all have failed. They all have given time for Maduro to stay in power. And given the realities that we are in the U.S. presidential election and the pandemic has, in a way, distracted the whole international community, right, to continue putting attention on Venezuela, which is much needed. In your view, what are the biggest challenges ahead for the U.S. and the international community to continue supporting, to continue helping Venezuelans survive and this humanitarian crisis and assist them by helping them to restore their democracy? How do you see that playing out in the next few months? Well, certainly I'm very proud to say that the United States policy in regards to Venezuela is a strong bipartisan policy. So there's no difference between Republicans or Democrats on there. All of Americans are united in our efforts to support the Venezuelan people. That being said, our biggest challenge is continuing and increasing our support to civil society and human rights organizations and independent media in the face of increasing government oppression. These groups deserve to have their voices heard and to report the truth about what is happening in Venezuela. We've discussed this in the podcast already. What the regime wants to do is suppress access to information so that inside Venezuela, they don't know what they're doing and outside Venezuela, people don't know what they're doing. The international community is a lifeline to these organizations who are trying to get information flowing and to keeping the flame of democracy alive. The independent media, civil society, and human rights organizations that we support are ensuring that accurate information on the crisis is made available to the international community, even as Maduro and his cronies attempt to stifle the truth and spread disinformation. These organizations that we support continue to sound the alarm about the regime's close affiliation with armed groups, even as Maduro clings to power by arming these groups and then using them against his own people. These organizations that we support are bravely continuing the fight for democracy and freedom in Venezuela, even in the face of brutal repression, false imprisonment, torture, and even murder at the hands of the Maduro regime. These organizations that we support are drawing international attention to the plight of indigenous people and the destruction of the environment, even as the Maduro regime steals Venezuela's gold and wealth and attempts to hide it overseas. Our challenge is continuing to support these groups and increase our support in the face of increased repression. And if I can add Moises, I also have a message to the Venezuelans listening today. Despite Maduro's tactics to suppress the voices of Venezuelans, the United States is still with you 
We will continue to support Venezuelans who fight for a free, democratic, and prosperous Venezuela. Don't give up to fight for freedom. Estamos con ustedes. Estamos unidos. Administrador Barça, muchísimas gracias por su mensaje, por su tiempo, por compartir su experiencia y su experticia con nosotros y nuestra audiencia. It was fascinating having you and get your thoughts on, the, on this crucial issue of Venezuela. We hope to have you back soon. Pero por ahora, muchas gracias por compartir todo y tener a Venezuela muy presente y, y en el top of your agenda. Moisés, gracias a ti. A la orden. Cuando, cuando quiera. For you, thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West.